Welcome to Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing our region's economy. Today is Wednesday, January 18th. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta, and I'm joined today by Partnership Chief Economist Patrick Jankowski. In this episode, we're talking once again about the possibility of a recession, which direction the latest data points suggest we're going, and what that's likely to mean for Metro Houston. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. AJ, it's always a pleasure. I I always find talking with you and always find sharing some insights with our listeners. Fantastic. Well, Patrick, let's start off with a positive. Some new numbers came out in recent days that paint a pretty good picture of where the nation ended the year. Is that right? Yeah, yes, and I'm, I'm glad we're going to start off on a high note. There's too much negativity out there. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me start with some positive. Job growth in the U.S. really looks strong. It came in very well in December the, when the jobs data came out, 223,000 jobs. That's a little, a little bit trending down for the year, but the long-term average for the U.S. is to create 200,000 jobs a month, so we're still creating jobs at a little bit above the, the long-term trend for the year. Since we have December numbers, we know how 2022 performed. We created 4.5 million jobs in 2022. That was actually the second best year going back for the last 40 years. Hmm. Uh, The best year was in calendar year 2021, the the year just prior to to last year, where we created 6.7 million jobs. And so you can see the last two years, we've created over 11 million jobs. Really strong. Now, you know, I'm trying to put this in perspective. If you take out the recessions, the U.S. normally creates about two and a half million jobs a year. So if we created four and a half million jobs last year, then we created two million more than we do in, during a normal time span. So as, as far as that goes, yes, job growth is real strong. You know, you mentioned, you know, there's some other indicators, some other things I can talk about. Uh, one is the, the unemployment rate came in at 3.5%. You know, anything below five is a tight labor market. And the U.S. has actually been bouncing around between 3.5% and 3.7% since March of 2022. So there are not a lot of unemployed people out there. Most people, if they're unemployed, it's briefly uh, as they're looking for work. But there doesn't seem to be too much difficulty in in finding work out there, Uh, especially when you look at that data series that I like to quote. There's something called JOLTS. JOLTS Mm. stands for Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey. The last set of data that we had came came in for November, the most current data, 10.5 million job openings in the U.S. Think about that, 10.5 million job openings. And, and these aren't ghost jobs. These aren't ephemeral jobs. The way the Bureau of Labor Statistics gather the data when they survey the employers, they say, is this a funded position and are you actively trying to recruit for it? And they ask how many openings you had on the last business day of the month. And once again, I said 10.5 million openings. In a normal economy, like prior to the pandemic, we're averaging about 6.5, maybe 7 million job openings. So you can see we have three and a half to 4 million more job openings than we would have in a more normal economy. Uh, Initial claims for unemployment, they're they're a proxy for layoffs. The best way to look at it is over like a four-week average. So what you do is you you kind of account for the fact there may be some little blips in the data. Uh, For the last, the four most recent weeks for which we have data, there were only 212,000 initial claims filed for unemployment benefits. Now, in the summer, it was up to 240, 250. Hmm. So you can see initial claims are down. And, and I just scratch my head a little bit. I do scratch my head because we hear about what's going on with the tech sector. 
and I've done some research, and, and since all those layoffs have been announced in the tech sector, amount to about 200,000 layoffs. Okay. Uh, of course, that's been spread out over multiple months. And while 200,000 seems like a big number, the U.S. has 160 million jobs. So 200,000 layoffs out of 160 million jobs is not a significant number. And yes, it's painful if you've lost your job. But as I said, with all the going back to the JOLTS data and the, the shortage of labor, these people aren't having problems finding work or they shouldn't have problems finding work. Uh, one other thing is the GDP number. Gross domestic product, you know, the, the broadest measure of economic activity. Uh, it's issued by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Uh, they said that the U.S. economy grew 3.2% after adjusting for inflation in the third quarter last year. 3.2%, but the first time they came out with their estimate, they said we grew 2.6. Then they revised it to 2.9. Then they revised it to 3.2. So as the Bureau of Economic Analysis was getting additional data in, they kept on seeing that the economy was actually growing stronger than they thought. So, you know, most of the news, in spite of what you might be picking up in some of the papers and, and some of the podcasts, media out there is that the economy is actually doing pretty well. Yeah. So, and actually, I want to go back to a point you made a second ago about tech, 200,000 some odd layoffs in tech, and that being relatively low compared to our total job market. But, you know, the reality is those jobs, because they are with big name companies in the tech sector, those tend to get headlines, right? And so that can be a little bit misleading because we know about those more so than we know about jobs in other sectors, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, people know more know Amazon more than they know Walmart. Yeah. And Amazon's one of the companies that's laying off, and they're laying off in their warehouse and in their retail operations and some of their new product developments. But, but yes, the, the fact that they're getting laid off is painful for the person who loses their job. But the economy is really in pretty good shape, and they should not have problems finding new work. No, that makes sense. So, you know, that's a rather rosy landscape that you've illustrated for us. And yet economists are still talking about the inevitability, some are talking about the inevitability of a recession. And now it seems that some indicators are starting to back those claims up. Can you talk a little bit about some of those indicators? Okay, let me, let me talk with a, give you a headline number, which is both good and bad. We had the inflation data for the calendar year 2022, uh, for the 12 months ending December 22, uh, U.S. inflation was about 6.5% on a 12-month basis. Uh, that's down from where it was in June. We were averaging 9.1%, but that's still high. Mm. Uh, the Fed would like to see inflation around 2%. Right. And so what that means is the Fed is going to be raised, continue to raise interest rates to try to bring down inflation. And that's where a lot of the concern is, is the Fed raises interest rates. It, it makes anything which you buy on time more expensive. And if you make it more expensive, then you consume less of it. If you consume less of it, there's less demand overall. Less demand overall, prices go down. And the concern is, and what many of the economists are seeing, is the Fed's going to continue raising interest rates. They might not be raising them quite as high and, and for quite as long, but the Fed isn't going to back off on raising interest rates. Yeah, That's one of the factors that economists are, are looking at for the uh, expectation will slip into recession. But there, there are other indicators out there that do give me a little bit of a pause. And one is there's something called PCE. I mean, it, it sound, sounds like a street drug, doesn't it? PCE. <laughs> no, PCE is shorthand for personal consumption expenditures. It's just a measure of how much are consumers spending overall. 
it's not just retail sales. It'll be what they're spending going to the doctor. It'll be spending what they're taking going on vacations, uh, what they're spending when they go to the movie theater. It's just total consumer spending. And that's important because consumer spending drives two thirds of all activity in the region. Well, unfortunately, PCE has been flat since October. You know, it, it hasn't gone down and that's a good sign, but it's not going up. Mm. And so we haven't gotten PCE for December yet. I'll be watching that real closely. If PCE for December slips when you expect it to go up during the holidays, that would be a real concern. If it's flat, that would probably be a concern. If it picks up, well, maybe not such a concern. But that's one of the things that economists are looking at is personal consumption expenditures. Total consumer spending has been flat. Home sales, golly, I'm sure glad I'm not in the home selling business. Yeah. Um, you know, interest rates have gone up. The Fed raises its rates, mortgage rates go up. They got up above 7%. Now they're tracking around six and a half. But it's made buying a home more expensive. If you go back to November 2021, the U.S. was selling uh, on a pace to sell 6.3 million homes. I mean, these are existing homes, homes someone's lived in, they put on the market. The most recent data for November of, of last year, 4.1 million homes has been cut in half. Yeah. And those are existing homes. Um, the higher interest rates has made it more difficult to purchase a home, a brand new home, to build a home. In November 2021, we were on pace to build 1.2 million homes on a 12-month basis. Uh, last November, only 830,000. So once again, that's about cut in half. And, and I say that, and we say, well, I'm not buying a home. I'm happy I'm in my home. Neither It's not just the jobs which are lost building the home. It's not the carpenters and the plumbers and the electricians and the framers and the people who pour the slabs. Think about the the timber that's harvest, which goes to the sawmill, which becomes lumber, which goes to the lumber yard. Think of the vinyl flooring that's made in a factory and the factory buys the plastics and chemicals from, from someplace like Houston. Think of the windows. Think of the curtains. Think of the drapes. Think of the appliances. It trickles down throughout the rest of the economy. Right. Especially if I can use myself as an example. My wife and I moved into a new home four years ago. When we moved, we made a very conscious decision. We're not going to move that couch. <laughs> We're not going to move that armchair. We're going to set it out by the curb. Right. We bought, we bought new living room furniture. We bought a new dining set. We even bought a new bedroom set. Uh, it seemed like it was spin, 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 but I mean, that, that's part of what goes on when housing slows down. It's not just the building of the houses. It affects every sector of the economy that goes into building the house and furnishing the house. Yeah, there's a definite ripple effect to something, to yeah, a sector it, like that. Yeah, and just one more, one more. I'm sorry, AJ, I've got to be a little no. bit more negative. One more. There, there's something called a National Purchasing Managers Index. Anybody who's seen me present or reads Economy at a Glance or listen to these podcasts, I've heard about the local PMI, but there's a national PMI. It's a survey of the purchasing managers asking questions about sales and employment and backlogs and so forth. And the Institute for Supply Management crunches the numbers. They come up with an index. Whenever that index is above 50, that's a sign. That sector of the U.S. economy is expanding or that sector of Houston's economy is expanding. For December, for the first time, the services PMI slipped just below 50. Hmm. Manufacturing PMI has been below 50 now for two consecutive months. So there's a little bit of a concern, just slipping barely below 50. It's a concern. It's not a worry. I'm not going to lose sleep over it, but it's something I'm going to start paying more attention to. If it starts, if it continues to slip below 50, that's a sign that we're in a recession right now. It's kind of like a more of a warning signal. 
yeah. than an actual declaration. So not everything is going great and the economy is starting to show the cracks that we've been talking about for a while. What are economists saying now about the U.S. outlook for 2023 and how does that differ from what those same folks might have been saying just a few months ago? Okay, two schools of thought on that. One thing, uh, I'm an avid reader of the Wall Street Journal. Sorry, I didn't mean to plug, but I think most economists do read the Wall Street Journal. Fair. They do a survey, uh, prominent economists across the U.S., some of the names you'd recognize, some of the names everybody would recognize, some of the names only I would recognize. But they surveyed 77 of them in December and early early January and asked them what they thought the outlook for the U.S. economy was. Uh, based on the survey of these 77 economists, uh, there is a 61% probability of a recession over the next 12 months. So uh, they surveyed in October, it was 63% probability. I mean, yeah, it's, this probability has gone down just slightly, but 2% is not a significant change. Yeah. So a lot of economists are still out there thinking that the U.S. is, is going to have a recession this year. So let me give just a little bit more color on the Wall Street Journal survey. Based on what the 77 economists are saying, they're expecting the economy to be flat this year in this quarter, slightly negative in the second quarter, barely positive in the third quarter, and start to see growth again in the fourth quarter. So yes, they're saying recession, but they're not seeing a very steep recession. Okay, there's another group out there. There's the survey of professional forecasters. And this is something the Philadelphia Fed puts together. And what they do is they ask these forecasters what they think about some of the same questions the Wall Street Journal asks. But the professional forecasters are actually saying they expect GDP just to be barely positive this quarter and barely positive next quarter. And we'll start to see a little bit of growth in the third quarter. So what I'm hearing is I see what my peers are saying and listen to what my peers are saying. Uh, It's either going to be a shallow recession or no recession at all. But, you know, the preponderance of the data and what so many people think is that it's going to be a recession. I guess maybe that's my concern that this is one of those things we're talking ourselves into, even though yeah. the data seems pretty strong. If we, if we talk about it long enough, we'll start to believe it and it's going to affect our behavior. We've talked about that before that and uh, seeming inevitability and how that can impact the actual, the actuality, right? You know, so if what, what many are anticipating is true, and this is indeed a short and shallow recession, remind our listeners what that's likely to mean for us here in Metro Houston, given the dynamics that we're going into the year with. Oh, gosh. If, if I'm going to go through a recession, there's no better place to go through it than Houston. There, I mean, we, okay. we, are, we are in so much better shape than a lot of other metro areas. Uh, we've recovered 130% of the jobs we lost in the pandemic. And it's going to hurt to lose any jobs, but we're going to, if we lose jobs, we're going to be losing it from a record high. Yeah. There's some metros that have just barely got back to to zero, barely recovered all their jobs. So if they hit a recession, they're going to start giving back what they barely recouped. So, you know, we're in a good position. But the other thing is, if you look at the data for Houston, uh, initial claims for unemployment benefits are still tracking below where they were in the summer. Our purchasing managers index, our PMI, is still positive. Hmm. Uh, the Dallas Fed has done a survey of oil firms in the region. They're going to be increasing their uh, over half of them are going to be increasing their capex. They're spending on exploration and on on new equipment. Port of Houston is still setting records for container traffic, construction contracts. Golly, 
best year for construction uh, leading we're going into the best 2022 was one of the best years for construction contracts and those are contracts that you, you don't put up a building in, in, in 90 days you put up a building in six months to 18 months so we've got a good backlog in construction airport traffic is picking up the only areas that are really weak right now are home sales and mm. they're weak for everybody not just for Houston so the Houston market will probably suffer somewhat in the areas of home sales and maybe some of the retail selling for homes. But overall, the economy should do well. Now, when I was putting together my forecast, I do not see a scenario where this time next year, you and I are talking about the job losses in 23. I think this time next year, you and I are going to be talking about, well, tell us how we missed, how we dodged the bullet. Yeah. Let's talk about what we did right and why Houston's economy performed well in 2023. And that's the hope. But what could actually derail what we've been calling short and shallow? Oh, uh, I mean, the black swan, the things we don't see out there, yeah. things that could happen. I mean, hey, guys, there's still a war going on in the Ukraine. So far, it's been confined just to the borders of the Ukraine. There's a chance, let's hope it doesn't happen, that could spread beyond the borders of the Ukraine if it spilled over into other parts of Europe. That would be a major disruption for the economy, for, for, for everybody. Right. Uh, there, there is a concern about China. China's real estate market is still struggling. They've gone from zero COVID to maybe we should let the virus run its course. Uh, I think that the illness rates and the death rates are a lot higher than being reported. And that's going to affect China's economy and slow it down. And it's the second largest economy in the world. I worry about cyber attacks on the West. Uh, Russia might get real frustrated and say, uh, the hell with this. Pardon my French. But they may say, the hell with this, we're going to go ahead and, and launch some other attacks. And it could be that inflation just remains a lot more stubborn than the Fed hopes it will, and they have to keep on raising interest rates. Right. But, over, but overall, I don't, you know, I guess you never see a black swan event. I don't see those as likely. They're possibilities. We shouldn't dismiss them. But right now, the, the most likely scenario is either going to be a near miss or a very shallow recession. Yeah, I mean, none of us could have foresaw the impact COVID-19 would have on us. And let's talk about a black swan event. You know, what we went into 2020 with in terms of expectations turned out to be very, very different than the reality. So, you know, it's point, ironic. In the last three years, we've had our last two years had two black swan events no one saw, and they both occurred around the same time. One was COVID coming up in February or March of 2020. The other was Russia invading the Ukraine in February and March of 2022. Yeah. Both black swan events, both significant impacts on the economy, and no one for well, maybe the CIA saw what was going on in the Ukraine, right, right. but you and I didn't. Yeah. So if I'm the owner of a small to medium-sized business here in Houston, say in the professional services sector, what's your advice for me for the year ahead? Oh, stay the course. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't throw my hands up. It's. It's not woe is me. All is lost. Um, if we have a recession, it'll be short and shallow and just need to be and not what, throw the baby out. I'm looking for a metaphor, AJ. I'd say <laughs> not abandon all hope. Yeah. Uh, you know, recessions tend to be short and shallow unless they're uh, something like what we had with the COVID or the, the Great Recession. I mean, I, I did some research. I went back and looked at all the recessions that we've had since the end of World War II. So let me ask you a question, AJ. How many recessions do you think we've had since the end of World War II? I think I remember the answer to this question. Is it six or seven? It's 12. Oh, okay. Well, then I was wrong. Okay. How many recoveries have we had since the end of World War II? 12. Yes. Yay. Okay. <laughs> Head of the class. Give you a gold star. <laughs> that, that's the thing. We forget recessions are temporary. 
Yeah. It's not like a chronic illness. It's not like a fatal illness. It's just a, it, it's, it's like that flu that you get that you just need to, to, to slog through and come out on the other side. You'll be feeling a lot better. It's going to be the same thing with this. The normal state of the Houston economy, the normal state of the U.S. economy is expansion. It's yeah. not contraction. And we forget that. I went back and counted since the end of World War II. The economy has been in expansion for 792 months. It's been in contraction for 124 months. So over 86% of the time, the U.S. economy is expanding. Under 14% of the time, is it contracting? Hmm. We just need not to lose sight from that. It's like, okay, I've got a flu. It's flu season. I just need to get through this. I'll feel better in a few weeks. It's the same thing if we have a recession. Yeah, you have to get through it, and we'll be better in a few months. It's it's not fatal. It's just something we have to 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 take our medicine. Uh, it's you know the recession is, is trying to fix something. In this case, it's going to be fixing inflation. Right. We'll come out on the other side with lower interest rates, lower inflation. And we'll start to grow again. We'll feel healthy again. Just just don't lose the faith, guys. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, as you said, stay the course. Patrick, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. AJ, I always enjoy this. I appreciate it when people tune in. I'm hoping that I'm giving them some insights they can use. I know we are. And that's going to do it for this episode of Value Business Download. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so via your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting the podcast page at houston.org. There you'll also find links to recent data and news updates and learn how you can get more involved in the work of the partnership to make a difference in Houston. Thanks again for listening to Bayou Business Download.